Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told them a parable about the need to always pray and not lose heart. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God and did not care about people. There was a widow in that town, and she kept going to him, saying, Give me justice for my adversary. For some time he refused, but after a while he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or care about people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not wear me out with her endless pleading. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God give justice to his chosen ones who are crying out to him day and night? Will he put off helping them? I tell you that he will give them justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, through whom we can pray with confidence to our Heavenly Father. It's a situation I'm sure most of us are familiar with, have experienced at one time or another in our lives. You're in a rush, but you still have to stop at the grocery store to pick up those last few items for dinner. So you grab the cart, you're, you're scrambling through the aisles, picking up the stuff that you need. You get to the checkout and, and with a, a have a nice night to the cashier, you head back out to the car. But as you're, you're pushing your cart out to the car, you, you, glance, you happen to glance at the receipt and you notice they overcharged you for the milk. They didn't give you the, the coupon rate. They didn't give you the discount. Now, how do you react in that situation? I think there are two different types of people in the world and there are two different types of reactions. The first type will turn their cart around go back into customer service and demand a refund. And they won't take no for an answer, even though it means that dinner is going to be delayed. And then there's the second type who shrugs their shoulders and says, it's not worth my time to get a few bucks back for some milk. So you get into the car and you make a message to yourself, do not let my spouse see this receipt or else I might be in trouble. Which type of person are you? The, the point being that when it comes to refunds like that, when it comes to wanting justice, even when it's something as minor as your grocery bill, it really doesn't depend on you so much, does it? You can be very persistent, you can be very persuasive, you can have all the proof in the world, but if that customer service rep doesn't want to give you a, re a refund, you're not going to get it. And that kind of relates to our parable this morning. Jesus tells a similar story, but it's much more serious and much more pertinent to our lives. He sets the stage this way. He says, there was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God and did not care about people. Well, just like today in Israel, when there was a dispute between two citizens, it would be resolved by a third party, by an independent, impartial judge. Unlike today, there was not much red tape between a person and the judge and, and hopefully justice. There were, there were no lawyers involved. There were no appeals courts. There were no class action lawsuits. It was just two people and the judge. 
But Jesus tells us something somewhat unexpected about this particular judge. He was an unbeliever. He did not fear God. Now, in and of itself, that's, that's not terrible. I mean, there are plenty of unbelievers in the world who serve as, as perfectly fine judges. Earthly justice doesn't depend on faith. It depends on reason and logic and the law. So, as an unbeliever, he could still serve as a perfectly fair judge. But his unbelief makes a second description even worse. We're told Jesus tells us that he did not respect people. He did not care about people. Now, this is something that is absolutely necessary for a judge. He has to be impartial, and he cannot show favoritism to any one class and... Even more so, he must have a special place in his mind and in his heart for the the poor and the neglected in society. Uh, The fact that he didn't care about people means that he didn't care what other people thought about his judgments, whether they were just or not. He was absolutely full of himself and decided that he was the final authority and that's all that mattered. He was because he was an unbeliever and he didn't care about people, as Jesus calls him, an unbeliever just judge. And Jesus takes us to the other end of the societal spectrum. He brings, he introduces us to a widow. Now why would Jesus have a widow be the protagonist in this little story? Well, we know from our study of Luke and all of the Gospels that Jesus had a special place in his heart for the poor and the downtrodden in society. He spent a lot of his time with children with those who were sick, with those who were crippled, with widows, with women, with the the dregs of society. Jesus did care about people, especially those that society didn't seem to care about. And a widow at that time was in an especially precarious position. Her husband is dead by definition. And in those days, men really were the only ones with any legal standing in that society, in that system. Widows didn't generally have the assets to, you know, if they could hire a lawyer to to attain justice, so they were pretty helpless that way. Uh, women, again, weren't, didn't have much standing. So this, this, the picture we should get of this widow is that she's totally helpless to find justice for herself. She needs the help of an honest judge. And she's not getting it. Jesus says, for, t- for some time he refused But after a while, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care about people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not wear me out with her endless pleading. Although this widow seemed to be utterly helpless, she had one tool in her toolbox. Persistence. She could keep doing that. She couldn't force the issue. She couldn't pay for justice. She couldn't get it any other way for herself. But she could be persistent. And that that phrase in which our translation says, she's going to wear me out, where the judge says that, the Greek is literally, she's going to give me a black eye. Not physically, but metaphorically. You see, even though this judge didn't fear God, and he didn't really care what anybody else thought about how he was carrying out his education as judge, he did realize something. He realized that if his reputation was tarnished by this widow, that he could lose his job. Now, 
that's a pretty familiar storyline, isn't it? How many elected officials today, even in our own country, only do the right thing because they're worried about losing their job? So even though this judge didn't fear God and didn't really care about people, he finally gives in because the one thing that he likes is having his job, his position, and so he gives in to this woman, this widow, so that she will leave him alone. That's a nice story, right? I'm not sure I would pay to go see that story portrayed by Hollywood in a movie theater, but, but what's the point of it? Well, you know, in many of Jesus' parables, we kind of have to spend a lot of time interpreting it and, and figuring out which of the pieces is important and which we can kind of set aside. But here we don't even have to do that. Luke tells us right off the bat what this parable is about, doesn't he? He says, Jesus told them a parable about the need to always pray and not lose heart. All right, amen. We can go home now, right? We should always pray. We should be like this widow. Pray persistently, never give up until we get the answer that we want from God and then we will be satisfied. He will give us justice. We can point taken. Thank you, Jesus. See you next week. Right? Except Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He continues to interpret this parable more fully for us. Now, with parables, almost always find a place where you fit. Right? You can identify with one or more of the characters. So which of these characters do you identify with? Well, it's easy enough for us to identify with the widow, isn't it? I mean, we know the places in Scripture where we are encouraged and even commanded to pray. The picture that, Luke, that Jesus presents in Luke of always knocking, always asking, and the door will be open to you. You will receive what you are asking for. We know that we ought to be persistent in prayer, unceasing in prayer, always speaking our requests to our Father in Heaven, confident that He will answer. But then there are those times that He doesn't. And there are those times when it doesn't matter, doesn't seem to matter how many people around us urge us to continue praying and remind us that the Lord has promised to answer our prayers and encouraged us and comforted us with the assurance that God will give us every good thing that we need for this life as we are traveling like pilgrims through this world on our way to heaven. But that's not all that comforting. Because it seems like there are those times when the more people we have praying for us and the more often and the more heartfelt our prayers are, the worse things get. It feels like we can be praying to a brick wall or even an unjust judge who could care less about us and doesn't seem to want to help us, doesn't seem to want to give us justice in our lives. And that's the part of this parable that really is off, isn't it? And Jesus is drawing a parallel here between an unjust judge and God. He says, listen, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God give justice to his chosen ones who are crying out to him day and night? Will he put off helping them? So, what's the relationship here? God is somehow like that unjust judge. God could really care less about his people 
but he has a reputation to maintain. Is God worried about losing his job if he doesn't help us out? Of course not. The lesson that Jesus is teaching us here is one by, by means of contrast. So even if an unjust judge, an unbelieving guy who could care less about people, will finally give in to a persistent widow, how much more will your heavenly Father, who dearly loves you, who knows exactly what you need, who has called you as his chosen one, how much more will he give you exactly what you need when you need it? It's a lesson in contrast, right? Whereas the unjust judge only begrudgingly hands out justice, Jesus says that our Heavenly Father gladly gives his people what they need, just when they need it. The question is, do we actually believe that about our Father in Heaven? You see, if we're not praying faithfully, without ceasing, sincerely, and then also trusting that our God is our good and gracious Heavenly Father who wants to give us His good gifts, if we're not doing that, we're actually accusing God of being an unjust judge, aren't we? We are actually accusing Him by our lack of use of his name in prayer that he is a wicked tyrant who doesn't want what's best for us. And just think about what kind of a witness that gives to the world. If not only we stop praying, but then we kind of begin to neglect worship too, where we spend a lot of our time here doing what? Praying. Now if we give up those things, just think of the witness that we're giving to the world. Think of the promotion, the marketing uh, tagline that that would be for our church. Hey, come and join us as we worship our God. He's a God who plugs his ears to our calls and could care less about his children. How eager would you be to come to a church where that is the God who is being worshipped? You see, the point is that our prayer life is focused and grounded largely on who we believe God to be. If we believe that he is like this unjust judge and only gives out his blessings grudgingly because we pester him time after time, day after day, then we're not going to pray to him, are we? And you might as well not, because that God does not exist. That is not who God has revealed himself to be. He is a generous God who wants to give his children exactly what they need. You see, our prayer life is rooted in our faith in who we believe Jesus to be. And and incidentally, that's why we don't pray with people of other faiths. We can't possibly pray with a Muslim who believes that Allah, a wicked, evil, hateful God or judge, is the true God. We cannot possibly pray with Jews who don't believe in the Trinity. We can't pray with them. Our, Our prayer life is based on who we believe God to be. If he is good, to his promises. And Jesus says, that's the context of what the question Jesus asks when he says, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's, he's asking, it's kind of a scary question, isn't it? If he will find people in our world, in our community, in our church, who really believe that God is a benevolent Father who wants to give us exactly what we need to get through this life and on to our eternal mansion in heaven. Will he find that kind of faith here on earth? 
Do you trust that even when the Lord says no, that even when He says you're going to have to wait, that that is what is best for you in this life as we are traveling through it to heaven? You might say, well, I believe the big part. I believe that Jesus has taken care of my salvation, that that the reservation is made in heaven, that the ticket is paid for, that that's there. But, but when I ask for the things that I think I need in this life, I often don't get them. And you're right. You're not unique in that experience. I think all of us have asked for things and not received them. But here's the thing that we need to believe about God, is that he knows a lot more than we do. He's much wiser than we are, and he knows much better than we do what we actually need for this life on our path to heaven. Maybe a better question would be, not why am I not getting what I'm praying for, but what good things don't I have because I have never even asked for them? Remember James told his people, told his his readers, You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I know that most of our prayers, if you're anything like me, most of our prayers deal with what's happening in our lives here and now. If I'm in pain, Lord, take the pain away. If I'm struggling financially, Lord, help me out economically, financially. If if I'm in a conflict with a friend or a family member, Lord, please help me solve this conflict. And those are all fine things to pray for. But we don't have any promises regarding those things. We do not have any promise that if we are suffering from cancer that we will ever recover from that. We do not have any promise in Scripture that if we are suffering financially that we won't go bankrupt. There is no promise in Scripture that if we are fighting with a friend or family member that that relationship will ever be resolved this side of heaven. There are no promises that we can grab onto, like Jacob grabbing onto the Lord and wrestling with him, wrestling that blessing that he had already promised out of him. We don't have the Lord's promises regarding those things. But we do have promises regarding some other wonderful gifts. Think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Think of the things that the Lord really wants us to have, and when we ask for them, he promises to give them to us. Peace and patience and forgiveness and wisdom and faith and self-control and kindness. Those are the things that the Lord has promised to give to us. The question is, how often do we pray for them? So when you're going through those times where it doesn't seem like God is listening, where you're in pain or you're suffering from disease or you're suffering financially or there's conflict in your life, maybe it would be better to pray for those other gifts, those gifts of the Spirit to help you endure through that time of trial rather than asking for the Lord to take it away. Because we know that the Lord only gives good gifts to His children. Back to the question, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? See, on that day, there will only be two kinds of people. There will be those, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, there will be those on His left, who will be sent off to hell, And there will be those on his right. Those are the believers who will be invited to take their place in heaven. What matters on that day is not how persistent you've been in prayer, but who your God is. That will be the only thing that matters. Just like the only thing that matters when you go into the grocery store, beg for a refund, is whether that customer service rep can actually give it to you or not. The only thing that will matter on Judgment Day is who God is. And we have Jesus' word. 
that God will deliver justice and he will deliver justice to us quickly. You see, it's really only through Jesus that we can know and trust God. That we can know who he is and what he is like. And we know it most clearly because of what God did to Jesus. Well, God promises to answer all of our prayers. When Jesus needed his Father the most, he didn't listen. When Jesus fell on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane and pleaded with his Father to take away the cup of eternal suffering that we had earned, take it away from him to save us, to, to make up a way to save us in some other way, God denied his request. No, my son, this is the only way. You must suffer and die. These people are to be saved. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was hanging on the cross, that plea was met with silence from heaven. On the cross, the Father turned his shoulder on Jesus and ignored him. Even though Jesus had always practiced a perfect prayer life, even though Jesus had never complained, had always accepted his role, had always accepted that his father knew what was best, the father turned his shoulder on Jesus, turned his back on Jesus. And that is the reason, that's the biggest reason that we know that God will never turn his back on us. That's the Savior we have, who, who left his father's side in heaven only to have his father turn his back on him here on this earth as he paid for our sins. That's the father we have who would turn his back on his son so that he will never turn his back on us. That is what we cling to as we pray to our father, persistently pursuing his promises. Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what kind of shopper you are with persistently demand a refund if something is not right on your receipt or you're the person who just hides them in your glove box so your spouse never finds them. In the end, that doesn't matter. But who our God is, is eternally important. Paul puts it this way. Will not God, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Of course he will. And so we pray. We pray for those good things. We pray persistently. We pray confidently, not because we deserve it, we don't, but because of who God is and because we know that when the Son of Man returns, all of our prayers will be answered once and for all. Amen.